Thank you, Jonathan, for sharing the ministry with the people here. I'll, I'll have all of us know that we have, obviously, we've been monthly supporting both Jonathan and Lance as they have been in the ministry over there. But this year, we also sponsored the publishing of a book to the Czech language. I think it was Peacemakers by Ken Sandy, a book just to help people deal with conflict among them and especially conflict within churches, which seems to be necessary with uh, what's going on over there in the Baptist Union and all those things. So know that you were a help with that, and uh, they were very thankful that we partnered with them in doing that. So it's great to just hear about the ministry and see what the Lord has done with that. I'll just ask as we begin our time tonight in the Word of God, if you'd bow for a word of prayer with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity once again tonight as we get to, to look at your Word, think about what it's saying and what it means. Lord, we thank you that your word has been esteemed even above your very name as you tell us in the Psalms. Lord, we're grateful that we have it and that we can hear it, that you open our eyes to understand it. So help us tonight to receive these things and to use them for our own edification, but also for the spreading of the gospel. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would take your Bibles tonight and turn in them to John chapter 19, if you're not there already, we find ourselves once again in this crucial passage, if you will, verses 19 through 30, whereby Jesus Christ is being crucified. This entire chapter really is a sobering reminder and sobering events that surround the greatest day in the history of all humanity, really, because this was the day when the penalty for the sin of all whom God had chosen to save was actually and finally satisfied, actually and finally in time paid for. And of course, we're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the day in which Jesus Christ himself died for our sin. The one who knew no sin, the one who became sin for us so that we, that is when we say we, all who have believed upon Jesus Christ by faith in Christ as a divine act of God's grace and elective choice, by faith we receive not what we deserve. We receive the righteousness of God in Christ. It's interesting if you have looked at John chapter 19 over the last several weeks when we have been studying it, that when you read this text that you begin and you begin to look at the details and analyze what's going on in the text, you see several parallels that are taking place within the text itself. For example, there are four soldiers that are at the crucifixion that divide up the garments of clothing that they take from Jesus Christ. There are also four women that John mentions in the text that are there at the crucifixion specifically. I'm sure there were more women in the crowd, but four that he mentions specifically who are there watching what is happening to Jesus Christ and upon which the impact of what is happening with Jesus Christ would have an eternal effect. And there are four statements Four final statements that John records for us that Jesus makes from the cross. 
And I'm not quite sure of the significance of the pattern of those things by way of fours in this text, but it is nonetheless an interesting pattern that God has given to us uh, through the pen of John. But for our time tonight, I want us to just focus for a moment on part of one of those fours, one of those groups of fours, part of one of those three groups We'll get back to the entire section next time we're here in John. But for now, I want to just focus on one piece of one of those groups of fours. We cannot ever underestimate the power of words. In fact, God has not given us a vision. As some people might say, I've had a vision from God. That is an outright lie. He has not given us something that we can touch something that we can see in, in essence of, of a physical object here in front of us. What God has given us is His Word. He has given us His Word. He has spoken to us. And while there have been in uh, the history of even our short history of life, but also the history of the world, there have been many great and powerful statements made by people throughout history None could be even compared to the final words of Jesus Christ, especially his very final words. We find him here in this text in verse 30 of John chapter 19. If you were to read Matthew's gospel and you read the final moments of Jesus' life, both Matthew and Luke say that it was with a loud voice that Jesus spoke Mark says it was a loud cry with which Jesus spoke. But John is the only one that tells us what those words actually were. And all of history hinges on this very moment. It's in this moment that we find the greatest words that were ever spoken by Christ. Now we're going to go back and we're going to cover verses 19 up to verse 29. But here in verse 30, these final words are spoken. When Jesus therefore had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. The greatest words that have ever been spoken or that will ever be spoken are the words right here of the Lord Jesus Christ as he is suffering horrific physical pain and he is suffering the unfathomable separation from the Father in a mystery sense that we in our own physical nature here as humans on this earth cannot even fathom how the Godhead in some kind of way, God the Father and God the Son could be estranged from each other in this way and yet here Jesus Christ in that very moment says, it is finished. As I said before, there are no other words greater, no words have greater importance than these, at least in English, these three words. We could spend frivolous amounts of time tonight going over all kinds of quotes from great men and women through history who have made significant impact on the world through words. And none of them would come close to the impact that these words have had on the world. 
Even the second greatest statement in all of history. He is risen. Make no sense without an understanding of the implications of these three words. It is finished. Even those three words that we all revel in as Christians, that we celebrate every year in the springtime, He is risen, make no sense at all unless Jesus Christ utters these words right here in verse 30. And we must not think of these words as the words of man who is just giving up the fight. We've gone through the trial of Jesus Christ. We've gone through the Jewish trial, the Roman trial. We've seen the agony of the scourging. We've walked with him as he's walked the road to the place of Golgotha where the cross is put in the ground and he is hanging there between heaven and earth. And yet we read these words and we can get in our minds if we're not careful. Here is a man who has agonized for hours and now he is at the last place in which he is going to give up his last effort of fighting and he, in a sense of giving up the fight, just says, it's finished. No, these are not the words of a man who has now resigned to some kind of inevitable fate. Rather, these are not words of defeat. These are words of victory. These are victorious words. These are a declaration of eternal triumph that is a turning point in all of history. These are words of a victorious king. And by the way, the title that was placed in the placard above his head is a true title. These are the words of that victorious king. These are the words of the willing servant that has accomplished all that he has been sent to do. And in these words and all that they entail, they make the death and the resurrection of our Lord so unique, so unlike anything we have ever seen. His death, although it resembled those who died that day with him, In a physical sense, he died just like any other man in the sense that his body was physically racked. Carried so much more significance than that, however, than any death that had ever come before. Christ's death could have never been equaled because he alone achieved salvation by his suffering on the cross for all who would ever believe. We have to remember from our study of Romans that the Apostle Paul put it in these words. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21 and 26, it's ironic. I think Jonathan referred to these this morning. He said, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Also, 
Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul puts it this way, But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. It's overwhelming, really, to actually try and comprehend that. It's overwhelming to think about what took place when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And in order for us to understand the vastness of that, I want to just kind of dig in a little more to this statement. We've been talking a lot about understanding the Word of God by way of its implications and not just by way of the meaning in a defined kind of way, a meaning of a word, but taking that and thinking it through and saying, okay, what is the implications of that? And I want us to look at verse 30 and this word in the Greek language, one word, to telestai in the English language, three words, it is finished. I want us to delve into that and I want us to look at the implications of that and I want to uncover five implications of this phrase for us tonight so that we can understand the vastness of what Jesus Christ finished. The Bible tells us that there is no one righteous. We just read that. No one righteous, Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, not even one is righteous. There isn't one who understands. No one seeks God. All have turned away. They've all become worthless. There is none who does good, not even one. And we know why. We know why that is so. It is because of sin. Sin. Sin is any violation, any transgression of the divine law of God. That's a simple definition for sin. So any transgression of, any violation of the divine law of God. And this principle is illustrated all the way back in the beginning of the scriptures in Genesis chapter 2. It begins there with God warning Adam and Eve of the consequences of violating his law when he said this, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Consequently, they had sinned against God by disobeying that command. They tried to hide from God. They could not hide. No one can hide. No one hides from God. And so we are told that God called them out. He called them out of hiding. And He began to deal with their disobedience. Adam and Eve sinned. The consequence for their sin was death. God said, you will surely die. Separation from God spiritually and the beginning of a separation from the soul, from the body physically. That's what death is. Separation, both in a spiritual sense, separation from God. In a physical sense, separation from the part that animates your physical body, your soul. When you die physically, your soul departs. There must be a death. Why? Because of sin. And then God does an amazing thing in Adam and Eve's presence. Genesis, God rebukes their sin, and then he performs a sacrifice of an animal in their place. Something had to die. This was the first death they had ever experienced. Prior to that in the garden, all they knew was life. They never experienced death at all, and it was a sacrificial death enacted by God on their behalf. 
And that's the first implication that we see in the words of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. This sacrificial death. When he said, it is finished, enveloped in those words is this wonderful and magnificent doctrine of substitution. That is in there. It is impregnated in this phrase. It is finished. Something done in the place of another. Substitution took place. Ezekiel 18 and verse 4 says, The soul that sins will die. So death is not just a physical reality. Death is a spiritual reality. Physical death, the separation of the body from the soul. Spiritual death, the separation of the soul from God. And that's what we all deserve. Because we're all sinners by nature. Leviticus 17.11 For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Simply put, in other words, death must take place as a penalty for sin. And if it is not the one who did the crime to die, then it must be a substitute. Something has to die. Someone has to die. And here we are in John chapter 19 on that day outside the gates of Jerusalem at Golgotha at the place of the skull. And there are three men who died that day physically. But there was only one man who died spiritually. One man who died spiritually was the thief that did not believe upon Jesus Christ because Christ was the substitute for the other. Christ was the substitute for the other thief. When you think about Adam and Eve, in the case of Adam and Eve, it was an animal that suffered in their place as a temporary covering for their sin. Temporary covering for their sin. It was a prefigured reality of the death of the one on behalf of another. It was a picture that God was showing them that he is now overlooking them for a moment because God had a plan. Because the sacrifice of animals could never fully remove the penalty of sin. That was never in the plan of God. Hebrews 10 and verse 4 says, For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's an interesting word there in Hebrews chapter 10. The word for take away, it simply means to remove. To remove sin. To remove the penalty. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to remove sins. The blood of animals was never meant to remove sins. Never meant to remove the penalty for sin. God had simply given it as a symbolic picture. Picture to Adam and Eve and a picture down through the ages through the nation of Israel and to all humanity of how sin was to be dealt with once and for all by the death of someone. And so the real and only effective sacrifice... The only substitution that would pay the full penalty for sin is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. No other human would ever do. 
No other person could ever die and satisfy what God's wrath demanded for sin. Every other sacrifice would only delay the inevitable, the justified wrath of God for all eternity. So when Jesus Christ is hanging there and Jesus Christ says these final words, it is finished, what was finished and what is in those words that Jesus Christ is saying is that once and for all on the cross, what is finished is the satisfactory substitution for our sin. Jesus' blood was shed for sinners like you and me. There's another truth that is impregnated in that word. Christ was our substitution, but secondly, when Christ said it is finished, Christ within that statement meant that not only substitution was finished, but also satisfaction was finished. The Apostle John said it this way in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, Jesus Christ himself is the propitiation for our sin. The propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means to cover or to satisfy. It's probably a a better way to say it. To satisfy. In the case of Christ, He was the satisfaction for our sin. He was the satisfaction for the penalty of our sin. Paul put it this way, Romans chapter 3, verse 25 and 26. Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. One of the reasons Christ died was because God's wrath is directed against all sin and directed against all who sin. Because God is perfect. He has to carry out His punishment on sin. And if God does not do that, then God ceases to be who He says He is. Therefore, God ceases to be righteous. And it's on the cross, it's through the cross work of Jesus Christ that God was satisfied with the sacrifice. God was fully satisfied with the sacrifice once and for all. So where substitution, substitution, the idea of substitution of Jesus Christ on our behalf, where that refers to to us... In other words, he died in our place. He is our substitute. Propitiation or satisfaction, as the word really carries the idea, this satisfaction, that refers to the work of Christ in which the justified wrath of God against us is turned aside. God is satisfied with Christ and thereby the satisfaction He has in Christ and the death of Christ and His wrath being poured out on Christ is satisfied so that now God against you and I no longer deals with us as one who has wrath upon us. But now the righteousness of Christ and the love of God is enabled to go out to us. And as it raised Christ from the dead, so too He raises us who are in Christ. That's just what verse 26 of Romans 3 is saying. 
Without the death of Christ, God would never have been justified in saving you and I who violated his perfect law. God would never be justified in saving us at all. We must die. Without Christ, we must die. To let us live without the penalty paid or to send us to hell when a sacrificial penalty, a satisfactory penalty has been paid would have been a violation of the very character of God. So God became man. And God lived under the law and lived a perfect life. Jesus Christ lived a life that deserved no death. He never sinned. The wages of sin is death. Christ never sinned. He didn't deserve to die. The one who deserved to walk back into heaven because of his perfection without penalty. And yet, in the place of sinners like us, Jesus Christ came and became our substitution, took our penalty took the penalty of death and died a sinner's death, thereby satisfying the wrath of God. So when Romans 1 says the wrath of God is on every person because of the ungodliness that's in them, because they do not even recognize God, because God has granted to us this gracious gift and Christ has paid the price, the wrath of God has been satisfied. And God, by His grace, can allow us to live with Him forever. Because we have been enveloped in the righteousness of Christ through faith. So here is Jesus hanging on the cross. Here is Jesus offering up His Spirit, saying, It is finished. Substitution is finished because Christ is our satisfactory substitute and satisfaction of the penalty is finished because God's wrath has been appeased in Christ. But there's another implication that describes what is there in the words of Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross and that is this, Christ finished our redemption. Christ finished the substitution. Christ finished the satisfaction. But Christ also finished the, subst- uh, the reconciliation. Reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19 says this, Now all things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's just simply saying that simply because we have been reconciled in Christ, we have a, a job to do, we have a responsibility to do, we are to take the gospel of reconciliation to those who don't know about it. And we are to tell them that they are under the wrath of God and yet they can have their sins paid for in Christ. They need to believe. They should believe upon Jesus Christ by faith. Repent of their sin. Turn to Christ. And be reconciled to God. 
Reconciliation in its simplest form just means to make peace. That's what it means, make peace. The Bible has its emphasis when it comes to reconciliation on making peace with God. Making peace with God. So when the Bible says there's reconciliation, it means there's peace made with God. Sin has caused a barrier, a barrier in that peace between us and God. In fact, the Bible says we're hostile Without Christ, we're hostile toward God. Isaiah 59.1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, neither is His ear so dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. This is what our sin does. It creates this insurmountable chasm between us and God that we can never cross, that we can never find a way to make peace. It's only through the death of Christ. It's only through the death of Christ that that barrier, that enmity between us and God is bridged. The barrier and the wrath of God is removed. Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, how much more by His life? What is that saying? What is Romans 5 verse 10 saying? Saying that the relationship that man... When it speaks of man, he's talking about humanity, i.e. Adam and Eve, the, the first parents and all who are the progeny of them, you and I, that man once enjoyed a relationship that was unbroken with God. In the Garden of Eden, prior to the sin, prior to the fall, there was this unbroken relationship between man and God. And yet it was broken by sin. Man tried to hide from God, and man has been trying to hide from God ever since. Man has been trying to hide from God, attempting to get away from God through self-imposed ignorance. Trying to dismiss God through his supposed higher knowledge of things. Trying to hide from God through his sophistication in culture and his ideas about who he is through man-made religious kinds of activities. Man tries to escape the inevitable reality. Tries to get away from God. Yet he cannot. Miracle of all miracles, God came to us. God came to us as we were hiding from Him. That's what makes these words so beautiful here in verse 30. Because what was started in the Garden of Eden by God in the symbol of a sacrifice, in the death of this animal on behalf of those who had sinned against God, and one day the ultimate sacrifice would come, what God had started in the Garden is here being finished, being completed, being seen in time. The, the wisdom and knowledge of the Godhead as they planned out salvation, a, a holy people for God unto Himself that would praise Him unto all eternity. Here it is being finished. Jesus Christ was and is the bridge back to God. Why? Because He is God. 
He is God. So when we read these words in verse 30, it is finished. Christ finished the work of substitution. Christ finished the work of satisfaction. Christ finished the work of reconciliation. Our, our someone died for sin. The, the penalty of sin has been addressed. The, the satisfaction of the complete penalty of sin has been addressed. And peace has been brought back. Peace has been restored between us and God through Christ. Paul writes, 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That means, beloved, that 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 is the only way and on the only basis, Jesus Christ, He is the only one through His death that we can be restored to God. There's no other way. There is no other way. Christ finished substitution. Christ finished satisfaction. Christ finished reconciliation. And fourthly, Christ finished that day redemption. Redemption. I think this is the best part. It's hard to refer to those monumental peaks as one being better than the other. But in our minds, sometimes we do that. And sometimes I look at it that way because redemption means to buy back. To buy back. And in a biblical sense, we are gods. All humanity is gods. God created all humanity. So in one sense, we're all gods, but we have fallen into bondage. We are, we're in bondage. We are slaves to sin And it is only the death of Christ that can buy us back. His life alone redeemed us. So when Jesus Christ said, it is finished, he says, redemption is finished. Redemption is finished. You've been redeemed. Author John Murray writes about this with these words. He says, quote, just as the sacrifice is directed to the need Created by our guilt, satisfaction or propitiation is directed to the need that rises from the wrath of God. And reconciliation to the need arising from our alienation from God. And so redemption is directed to the bondage to which our sin has co-signed us. Unquote. He's got it right. Christ said on the cross, it is finished. His work is complete. It's not just my life is over. His work is complete. And one of the things that he meant was that the debt was paid in full. The price has been fully paid. We ask the question, what's the central point of all of Christianity? What's the central point of Christianity? When you think about Christianity as a whole, what is the central point of Christianity? The central point of Christianity is the very word in Christianity. It is Christ. Christ is the central point of Christianity. What is the focal point of Jesus Christ's life? The focal point of Jesus Christ's life is the very section of Scripture we are in and we have been studying for some time. It's that final week of the life of Jesus Christ. What's the focal point of the final week of His life? 
It's his death. Only to be followed by the resurrection moment. So here we are, the moment on the cross. The central point of all history lies in these words that are uttered by Jesus Christ as he's hanging there before the Father. The words that are uttered by God himself and uttered out of love for his own. Jesus said to the Father back in John 17, I have loved them to the end. I think you and I were included in that. And so out of love on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. No other words can carry so much significance than those words. And the proof, the proof that it is finished, the proof that Jesus had finished the substitution and the satisfaction and the redemption and the reconciliation, the proof of all of that, that it was truly finished, came three days later. Other words, other words said, not by Christ, other words echoed by the angels and echoed by his followers and echoed by you and I who know Jesus Christ by faith. He is risen. It is finished. Therefore, he is risen. John says here in verse 30, after uttering those words, Jesus gave up his spirit. Jesus gave up his spirit. I love that because that's the exclamation point. No one took Jesus' life. Pilate gave him up to be crucified, but no one took the life of Jesus. Jesus gave up his spirit. He gave it up for you and I who believe. Jesus gave it up so that we might have life. So tonight we can thank God. We can thank God that Jesus said it is finished, can't we? We can thank God that Jesus Christ was delivered up to be crucified. That Jesus Christ chose not to exercise his own independent will, but only followed the will of the Father We can thank God that Jesus Christ in that moment uttered no threats. That his words were only what the Father would have him say. And that what he said, even prior to that, fulfilled what the scriptures declared. And so even there, when Jesus said, it is finished, that was finished. And here we have the Lord of glory paying the price that we might live and God is satisfied with Christ.
So I would just say to us, beloved, when we read the scriptures, don't just read the words. Don't just read the words. Think about what's there. Think about the implications of those words. Allow those words to impact your life more than just words. These are not the words of a man just giving up. These are the words of the Lord of glory and victory saying it is finished. And you and I can rest assured that we have life in his name if we believe upon him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for testimony of what you're accomplishing over in the Czech Republic. Thank you for the ministry of Lance and Jonathan, what you're accomplishing through them. Lord, we know ministry is hard. You never said it would be easy. In fact, you said it would be even worse than what we sometimes know. But you mitigate that by your grace and mercy. All because you have chosen to save. And we know you can save by your power. And we know you will save. Because you're just and the justifier of those who believe in you. Because Christ paid the price. He has satisfied your wrath. He is the perfect substitution, the complete propitiation. He is our reconciliation. He is our redeemer. You are our loving father who sacrificed your very son that we might have life. We don't deserve such love. Lord, help us to embrace the fullness of what that means as we live our life each moment here, no matter what that costs, for the sake of your glory and for the reality of us being changed into the likeness of our Savior. May we embrace that as our greatest desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.